When Didymo was first found in the South Island, the fear was it would devastate waterways. Seven years later, the invasive alga appears not to have reached the North Island. This Radio New Zealand Insight asks if the river pest is still a problem. On the 26th of January, 2006, and a gentleman had been fishing on the river one Saturday morning, he said, what's this? And he produced a rock and it was covered in didymo. Now I already knew what didymo looked like. I'd been down to Southland. I'd seen this terrible stuff. And I thought, oh, it had to arrive. Then I started looking and, and, and it had been in the river a while. I went down to Odiaiki and, and it was just thick uh, from bank to bank on some of the side streams. And I met an angler and he said, I was here you know, two months ago and this wasn't here. What is this stuff? And I said, well, that's, that's its nature. That's how fast it grows. I'm Philippa Tolley and I'm on the banks of the Waitaki River on the boundary between Canterbury and Otago to find out what sort of impact Didymo is having. Looking at the river at the moment, you can't see huge strands of woolly looking growth known as blooms. But if you look at the rocks, they're covered with a brown slimy looking growth. And when you lift a rock out, you can peel off a thick fibrous layer that feels like wet cotton wool. Fish and Game Central South Island officer Graham Hughes has lived and worked in the area for many decades and speaks about what the river used to be like. The river, prior to the, the introduction of this stuff, everyone took it for granted. Now it was deep blue water, a lot of fast water. Edges were clean but silty in places and almost within a few months it had gone to this browny, greenish slime covering everything. And it wasn't just on the bottom, because it sloughs off, there's little particles and sometimes large particles, sometimes as big as mattresses come floating down the river. If you're in a boat or you're fishing, this stuff is forever annoying you if you're an angler. And then if you actually catch a fish, and you're playing the fish, which is racing up and down the river, the line's catching more didymo. When you get it, you, you, the first thing you see is a great big bulb of, of didymo coming out, and underneath it there's a fish. Graham Hughes believes the infestation affects even those who are not anglers as the play of light over the stones is replaced by a uniform, flat, mud-brown cover in the shallows. A professional fishing guide for the last 12 years, Graham Warren, also known as Squid, laments the loss of a pristine river fishery. There's a number of places down on the river there when you go down in the jet boat and you could find shallow bars, ripples like this there with quiet areas behind them where at certain times of the day and at certain parts of the season we'd find 30, 40 more trout feeding happily. And if you're using small nymphs and that there or dry flies, I mean, you could have fantastic fishing. I'm now not finding any areas like that at all in the last couple of years. You find areas where you might find a few fish, but the didymo certainly had impact with the covering. So when it affects the food chain, like the insects can't live, the food for the fish is gone, hard for the fish. Squid has clients from all over the world, including the United States, the Middle East, Africa and Europe. He says they're still coming, but Didymo has affected the quality of their fishing experience and there are hazards when it comes to transport on the river. If you're on the river in a jet boat, for example, like, <clears throat> just as a, um, for those recreationally that go up and down the river for, for jet boat runs, you've now got to be really cautious, really cautious. Before you could zip up rivers and that shallows and stuff, and the only thing you had to worry about was sucking a wee bit of the odd gravel in your intake. Now, with that didymo parking in shallow areas um, and taking off from shallow areas with his didymo, you 
suck it up your intakes, it blocks your intakes, no power. I've had that happen three times now on the river, and I, and I consider myself to be very careful on the river. So you've had to get out of, out of the boat and clean it with a rake of, of, to get the weed off the intake. And one occasion in wintertime, it was minus three, and I'd stripped off to my underpants where I had some, some duck shooters out here from Australia, and I was underneath the boat clearing that. And they said, Squid, why are you doing that? I said, because none of you guys are volunteering. He says losing power on a fast-flowing river can be extremely dangerous. There are more than 150 rivers in the South Island that are known to be infected with Didymo. Part of Graham Hughes' work involves helping NIWA, the National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research, within the field work, as Fish and Game is keen for some sort of control to be developed. A NIWA scientist, Cathy Kilroy, specialises in river ecology, and a group she was working with first discovered Didymo in the lower Waiau River in 2004. She describes the complex behaviour of the alga since then. It, it was turning up in a lot of rivers, but actually it hasn't bloomed in that many of those rivers. It's bloomed in, in quite a few rivers, and there it's really bad. But the actual extent of the blooms of Didymo is a lot less than the extent of the distribution of Didymo itself. In a tributary of the Waitaki, Cathy Kilroy, along with a colleague from Canada, has set up a testing area complete with a small equipment shed where she showed me under the microscope Didymo cells shaped like old glass soft drink bottles. Diatoms are kind of algae that are very, very common in rivers and there's lots and lots of different species. And they tend to be very small. They have silica cell walls, so they're quite distinctive. And Didymo is a bit of a giant amongst those species. And so Didymo grows by, it attaches itself to, the, to a substrate, a rock or something, and then it starts producing a stalk that puts it out into the water column. What happens is in, in low nutrient waters, it seems like the cell division rate is quite slow, but... It compensates for the slow cell division rate by making a lot of stalk material. It's, it's really the stalk material that's forming the blooms. Her experiment involves running water through channels and changing the water chemistry to try to find out about Didymo growth patterns. What we found in, in our experimental channels here is it will only bloom in waters that have very low nutrients. And that seems to be because in very low nutrients, Didymo cells don't divide. What we noticed very early on was that a lot of spring-fed or groundwater-fed creeks that flowed into rivers that, were, that had quite a lot of Didymo didn't have Didymo themselves, even though they, there were plenty of opportunities for them to be sort of seeded with um, Didymo cells. It turns out that some of those spring creeks actually do happen to be quite nutrient-rich, and that might be a reason why Didymo isn't, certainly isn't blooming in them anyway. It's known that Didymo likes the stable flows in rivers and canals associated with hydropower systems such as those on the Waitaki. The river is on the boundary between two districts, and Canterbury's regional council, Environment Canterbury, helps to monitor the invasive organism. But a senior water surface scientist for the council based in Timaru, Dr David Kelly, says that's only as part of a wider programme against a range of algae. We have field staff that routinely go out and monitor water quality and they make observations of conditions in the river at the time. And if they see you know, considerable growth of, of Didymo, they will record that. However, we don't routinely monitor Didymo now as part of a coordinated water quality monitoring program, but we are conducting a program of algal monitoring, so we monitor a range of different algal species and we're trying to understand some of the key drivers of algal growth in our, in our rivers, and Didymo is certainly one of those. 
The regional council is responsible for the management of the water resource and low water levels can encourage the growth of algae. Dr Kelly says that's always a consideration when applications are considered for water use. It's something that we would comment on. You know, if, if, if we were commenting on, say, a proposal to, to take water or use water uh, or regulate the flow, we would certainly comment on the potential impact of that on the growth of algal species, of which Didymo is one. So certainly we would comment on it. Uh, and I think we're, we're trying to grasp uh, some of the key factors that might control algae in general. And I mentioned that flow is probably a big one. So we're trying to understand, you know, what magnitude of flow would actually remove algal growth. The regular flow in the canals that feed the upper Waitaki Dam system provides an ideal habitat for Didymo. The asset maintenance manager for Meridian Energy, Matt Bayliss, explained the extent of the problem as we stood alongside the canal that takes the water flowing out of the Ohau Sea power station. It's just some sort of small fingling, finger-like curly fronds of Didymo which is attached to the, um, the rock riprap on, on the side. Uh, the sides of the canal are quite steep so the water becomes deep quite quickly so the, the Didymo seems to be contained to the uh, shallower, so turbulent portions on the immediate edge of the canal. And this water here has got that lovely glacial colour. It, does that affect whether Didymo grows? Is it thought to have some bearing on it? Uh, the good folk at uh, Niwa have included the lack of light penetration into the deeper water as a reason for uh, Didymo's growth being curtailed. Of course, further down the Waitaki, there are some serious infestations where it's much more of a natural braided river system. And one of the things that's been suggested is, is that flow has a lot to do with it. Uh, is Meridian involved in talking about what it can do with flow to try and flush out or control Didymo growth further downstream? We absolutely are. I'm not a hydrologist, but the last flood event we had here, uh, we worked quite closely, or very closely, with Environment Canterbury to use that flood event to provide flushing flows. And that's just part of our ongoing collaboration with those other agencies to manage the health of the environment. Obviously your main use of water here is to generate electricity. I mean, how much sort of flexibility do you have, given the vagaries of rainfall, to actually consider things like flushing to try and control the demo? A flood event you know, obviously produces opportunity to have higher than normal flows in the Waitaki River for a uh, considerable period of time. But like right now, we're experiencing very low inflows. Of course, we, we have very little flexibility whatsoever. And producing a flushing flow in the current climate would result in a significant amount of water being diverted away from energy production and would be a, a considerable concern. Going inside the power station, Matt Bayliss told me that Meridian developed strategies in case the Didymo infestation became worse. That included developing a new type of filter to deal with a dense weed. Significantly more sophisticated filtering technology. It's designed to cope with the you know, fibrous uh, material that Didymo represents to any cooling water system and also the smaller particles, you know, the break-off parts as well. So it's designed to both intercept those to avoid them becoming entrained in the cooling water system, but it's also designed to be able to self-flush. So when the system self-detects you know, uh, masses of um, material appearing across the filter, it kicks in that high-pressure water blast action, for want of a better term, to dislodge all that material off the screen and, and allow cooling water to continue passing through that so, wet mesh. 
So it's a completely different way of dealing with cleaning the filter, especially in case Didymo caused significant problems. Yeah, completely different way. And as you can see, it's um, quite a significantly more complex-looking piece of machinery uh, and a lot more expensive. That filter is the only one of its kind in the power stations. It was made as part of contingency measures in case the Didymo bloomed in the canals and caused problems in the running of the power stations, but others like it could be made and installed elsewhere if the need arose. The threat to power stations in the North Island could be considerable if Didymo ever managed to get across Cook Strait, but so far all testing has come back negative. The manager of the National Coordination Team at the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries, John Sanson, believes any infestation will be relatively quickly discovered. We could never be 100% confident, but within a, a relatively short period of time, if Didymo did get established in the North Island River, it would spread through a reachable waterway, perhaps to a point where it would become obvious from visual signs, or at least sampling would detect it. It's not a question of keeping whole clumps of Didymo out of unaffected water, but stopping even cells getting into waterways. The Chick Clean Dry program was established when it was realised just how quickly Didymo was spreading. Particular efforts have been made in the Fiordland National Park to keep as much of it as clear of Didymo as possible, or at least to slow the spread. Many rivers can be reached by car, and it was decided little more could be done other than the Ministry's Check Clean Dry campaign. But those wanting to fish or kayak in many of Fiordland's rivers and lakes need an extra clean gear certificate. The Department of Conservation's Eric Edwards, who's based in Invercargill and works in biosecurity management, says the department made use of special provisions set up to preserve native wildlife. We've got uh, an area of the park that's uh, it's long been highly regarded for, uh, uh, for its relics population of Takahi. You know, that bird is famous for being extinct and rediscovered in the Murchison Mountains of Fiordland. Uh, we've had all sorts of programs of deer control and so on. As a special area, it's been uh, public excluded for a long time. And now um, we've, we've sort of opened the door a bit. We're more interested in engaging, giving public opportunity to go everywhere. But now with Thirty I guess we've been discouraging of, of uh, fishing opportunities there. Little is known about the effect of Didymo on fish or on bird life, but Niwa's Cathy Kilroy has done some study on the insects living alongside the alga. She says Didymo favours snails and worms, but overall the number of insects, such as caddisfly, in the area she studied had not reduced. The Nelson-based Corseron Institute is another research body receiving funding to investigate Didymo. An aquaculture and biotechnology research scientist, Susie Wood, says the Institute is trying to find out why it's growing in some places and not in others. Because it only takes one pair of tramping boots or a wet life jacket to give a hitchhiking freshwater pest a ride to a new location where it can establish and cause damage. She says just over a year ago, her team became only the second group of researchers to grow Didymo in the laboratory. That meant they could conduct tests just focusing on a range of different river waters to see if there was a chemical reason the alga apparently hasn't established in the North Island. Results soon to be published show it could. So we're just looking at the effect of the water chemistry and how that influences Didymo cells. It's a single cell but it attaches to the bottom or to a substrate. Our work very definitely shows that Didymo can survive, it can attach and it can, it can undergo cell division in water from the North Island and also these, these ground-fed creeks down the South Island as well. We haven't solved the mystery, if you like, of, of why it's not there yet, but we certainly, I mean, it, it really 
reinforces this message that we really need to be careful with, you know, when we're travelling between, particularly between the North and South Island, to clean all our equipment because the potential is, is very, very high for, if it does arrive there, to establish. With that research ruling out water chemistry differences as a reason for Didymo not establishing in the North Island, the Cawthron will next look at other factors such as what the alga is happy to grow on. However, earlier research by Niwa's Cathy Kilroy indicated that phosphorus levels may play a part in the success of the alga establishing. What we found from our surveys in the South Island is that Didymo, and this is from a reasonably limited set of rivers, but it does seem that Didymo certainly isn't blooming in rivers with phosphorus levels more than about two parts per billion, which is a little bit above the detection level in in laboratory tests. So it's not blooming in those rivers with phosphorus levels above that level, but it's also not really occurring in those rivers either. A lot of North Island rivers have quite high levels of phosphorus. We think that, you know, that might stop Didymo blooming, but why it's completely absent there, and it's not been detected with many, many samples put through quite a sensitive genomic method of detection, that is a bit of a mystery, actually. So the research is still far from definite, which lends weight to those who see the Czech Clean Dry campaign as imperative for not only keeping Didymo out of the North Island, but also preventing the spread of other invasive weeds or pest fish into unaffected waterways. A report published in the last six months by the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries assessed the economic impact of Didymo and other freshwater pests. The report was a partnership between Deloitte and the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research and it quantified the effect on areas such as tourism, recreation, public health and the environment. The report estimates that the negative impact of Didymo has cost $128 million in the five years up to 2011. A principal economist with the Institute, Bill K. Blake, says initial work indicated the economic effect in that time could be as high as $234 million. The MAF programs have just reduced the impacts. They've managed to keep the, keep the spread down. They've managed to keep the impacts lower. So as a result of those MAF programs, we ended up in the low range of where we thought we might end up. The new estimates predict a monetary impact from now until 2020 of between $211 and $855 million. Quantifying exactly how tourists feel about Didymo and the South Island waterways would take extra specific surveys. But as Bill K. Blake explains, it's easier to quantify New Zealanders' so-called conservation values as more is known about them. There's a lot of work going on in New Zealand about how people feel about the environment, how they feel about clean water, um, clean air, and natural amenity values. That work is going on for a number of reasons, not just Didymo. Because there's a, a big work program on that, we can be fairly confident in those values. There are a lot of people getting those values for a number of different reasons. It's not like we're going to just go out there and try to inflate the values because of Didymo. We're actually trying to understand how do people value the environment and what are the trade-offs they're willing to make between, let's say, water quality and, uh, and roading. It's more difficult to be sure about the effect on tourism in the future. What I can tell you is that, is that tourism spend is very big, and it's quite a big number compared to the recreational values, just in terms of measuring the economics of it. Um, however, New Zealand offers a lot of other things. So the marginal impact or the change that you're going to see just from the impacts on water are hard to predict. That sense so far of a marginal impact on tourism is backed up by the general manager of the Mackenzie Tourism and Development Trust, Phil Brownie. 
Looking out over Lake Tekapo as a busload of tourists arrives to visit the famous Church of the Good Shepherd, he told me the industry is a major earner for the region, with over a million visitors a year. He doesn't believe overseas tourists are being put off by the Didimo infestation. They are perhaps, you know, looking to find other experiences within this country. I mean, New Zealand is still an absolutely beautiful country to visit. It's a very popular country, especially for North American for fishermen to come here. But when you've got areas where the Didimo is so present, they'll look to find other areas to fish, and that perhaps puts a, you know a high degree of intensity in those other areas, and you know that will have an effect on fishing stock as well. And it's still the easiest and most effective way for anyone to stop Didymo and other freshwater pests in their tracks. The Czech Clean Dry initiative costs about half a million dollars a year, but the Economic Impact Report has supported the effectiveness of the campaign. The Ministry's John Sanson explains where the money goes. That includes some uh, funding support for the regions, regional partnerships, um, generally channeled through the regional councils. And in most cases, the regional partners contribute their own resources to provide enough uh, resource to engage advocates over the summer, to engage with people out in waterways and boat ramps, and money also goes into um, some targeted advocacy at the Picton Ferry Terminal. Those arriving at Picton and driving into the ferry terminal are met with signs telling drivers they're leaving a controlled area and that all gear that has been in South Island waterways must be cleaned and dried before being used in the North Island. The message appears to have got through to some travellers. I'll have to make sure that I don't wear the same type of fishing gear in the North Island that I do in the South Island, and that's exactly it. That's the easiest way, just to have separate, separate gear. And of course nowadays you're not allowed to wear sole boots in any event in either island. Initially it was a case of actually soaking your boots and clothing in, in a barrel of solution, which in effect was supposed to um, prevent the spread of Didymo, and uh, I suppose it did so to some extent. Well, I'm from the States and I just know about it because I'm a biology student in the States and I've learned about invasive species and that was one of the case studies. But when asked, others know very little. Not really, no. Not a huge amount. <laughs> one of those working to boost understanding is a Department of Conservation Ranger for Aquatic Threats, Dave Cade. Also known as Didimo Dave, he's based in Turangi at the south end of Lake Taupo, but his work covers a good part of the North Island. Driving into Taupo is a banner with the message, if you check, clean and dry, you're a bloody legend. Dave Cade says that message applies to everything that goes into the water. It covers everything. It covers uh, wetsuits, fishing gear, boats, kayaks, jet skis, uh, uh, duck shooting dogs that were moving from one lake to another or something like that. I mean, they're quite capable of having didymo cells if they've been in a didymo infected, infested river and they've got some cells in their coats they're quite capable of shifting it to another one how do you clean and dry a dog quickly you just got to dry it and keep it out either give it a pet shampoo or keep it out until it's dry plus 48 before you go and now people don't want to do that we know they don't want to do that but they've got to realize that that if they don't they are risking the the the, the destruction of, of some of the most beautiful places in new zealand you know, through, through aquatic weeds and through pestle. Mm. Mm. It's, it's this huge fight. It really is. But for some, the message still doesn't seem to be getting through or complacency is creeping in. Then they'll come to Turangi, they'll go into a store which is very pro, they'll 
they'll, they'll get their licence, they'll get other information there. They'll go and stay in a motel which has got banners all over it. They've got signs on the riverbank and I'll meet them and they'll go, oh, do we have to clean our gear in the North Island? And you just stand there and look at them and think, what is the matter with you, mate? So Fish and Game are putting out a lot of information in the book. There's, there's people's thinking that is the problem. Any ideas how to change it? Oh, we just keep, just keep at them. Despite many years of check, clean, dry, the Ministry's John Sanson is confident the message is still being taken notice of. He says the campaign against Didimo has focused greater attention on efforts to prevent the spread of a whole range of freshwater pest plants. Amongst people like uh, freshwater angling groups, you know, those who are out there in the waterways using a lot, that um, they still take this issue very seriously uh, on the whole. Some of the other audiences, perhaps younger people, you know, um, adventure kayakers or something, uh, you know, may be uh, less aware um, and perhaps less inclined to respond to the messaging. No campaign can get, I guess, a 100% uptake of those behaviours, but certainly we know that we've had a lot of cut through in the years that campaign has been running. The effort continues to find a way to control the spread of Didymo, with the Cawthron still experimenting with the naturally occurring chemicals to see if they can check the algal growth. But scientist Susie Wood says it's thought to be impossible to wipe out the alga throughout the country. Eradication of, a, of an organism, I mean this is 200 microns, so it's a, you know, it's a fifth of a millimetre, it's a tiny organism, so eradication of that from a whole river system, is once it's there and established, is is incredibly difficult but certainly you know to have something that could be used to control it for example where it's upstream of a, a water intake or a hydropower station if it you know once it gets those really thick mats they can cause all sorts of clogging type problems so something to control it in that situation would be really great and of course the other thing is if it arrived in, either in the North Island or somewhere like Fiordland or Poo Springs for example if you had something where we could um, potentially try to eradicate it really early then that would be fantastic to have as well. John Sanson says the spread of Didymo means that even if a method of controlling the weed was found, eradication would be too costly. But targeted efforts might be considered. What we might do is target um, effort around um, particular uh, high-value sites or, or habitats, you know, things uh, where there might be some rare uh, species uh, in waterways, um, ensuring you know we're, we're um, protecting those those sort of areas and locations. Um, if you look at say the, some of the areas that Department of Conservation manage. Fishing Games Graham Hughes is unequivocal: the efforts to combat the invasive pest must continue. When you're fighting something, the more you find out about your enemy, so to speak the easier it's going to be to, in the end to find either a way of controlling it or it would be great to get rid of it, but it's hard to imagine. So, yeah, I think it, we've got to keep looking at it, employing the best heads, the best minds, and surely, surely we must be able to discover more about it. Dave Cade is passionate about his job and believes the fight must continue to keep the country's waterways in the best shape possible for the generations to come. I can't live with the concept that, that, you know, we're standing on Lake Taupo today and you've got children swimming here, okay? I can't live with the thought that you're going to come down here as a grandmother one day and tell them what it used to be like. And I don't think any New Zealander should, should contemplate or accept that. There's no need for it. We can stop these things from being transferred around. We can't maybe stop them in some of the rivers they are, but someone may come up with a way one day to get rid of them. But we should never entertain the idea that our grandchildren or our mokopuna should ever be told what a place used to be like. Never.
I'm Philippa Tolley and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. The programme was written and presented by me, Philippa Tolley. It was produced by Gail Woods. Technical production was by Mark Chesterman.